Bible, open up to Luke chapter 19. We're going to finish Luke 19, and we'll do a quick portion of 20, and we'll take communion. We'll have you here out in time, uh, I promise. And I don't know when that is, but I, whenever it's over, it's over. No, we, we got out on time last time. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll give you one. Luke 19. Before we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, uh, just to do a quick recap, this is uh, called the, the, the cleansing of the temple. So Jesus, uh, in this event in, in Luke uh, 19, verses 45, I think through 48, uh, this event occurs in all four gospel accounts. Um, however, in the gospel account in the book of John, it's in chapter 2. So Jesus is going into the temple and he cleanses it. He turns over the tables of the money changers. He opens up a can of whoop that you can't get the lid on. And he just goes, he goes nuts. And he's intense. But he, this isn't the first time he did it. The first time he did it was in John chapter 2. He did it at the beginning of his ministry. And now he's coming back again to do it. But this time, as he comes in to, to cleanse the temple, um, he's on his way, and he's shortly, we're going to get into chapter 20, and then from there to the end of the book, he's going to be crucified, um, and that's where we have Good Friday, and then we go into Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. He's going to be the lamb that is slain for the sins of the world, and because he is disrupting the center of their, their, their culture, the, the temple, because he's disrupting it, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees and the leaders seek to kill him, uh, but they can't because all the multitude love him. And he actually will go into Jerusalem, and as we studied last week, he wept over the city, and, and then he went back to Bethany, because we learned this in the book of Mark. He goes back into Bethany, and then in, in verse 45, he comes back into Jerusalem, so he, will, he spends the evenings in Bethany and then comes into Jerusalem, which is kind of a safety measure. And it's during Passover, so the city's packed and it's hard to find a place to stay. So he has to go out to Bethany to have a place to rest and, and recuperate and eat. But he keeps coming back into the city on this event after he wept over the city. Now he's coming back into the city. And the first thing he does in, uh, in, in verse 45 is he begins to turn over the tables of the money changers. And I want to give you just a, a quick recap before we get into the study of it, uh, the temple is critical in the culture of the Jews. And you guys remember this, but I, I have to reiterate it until you can come to a place where you're teaching it yourself, and some of you are probably already there, but for those of you who aren't, bear with me. The temple was designed when there were three to five million Jews who were enslaved in Egypt. They cried out to God. God set them free through 10 plagues. They crossed through the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army was drowned. God gave Moses a downloaded moral app when he was in Mount Sinai. First five commandments, it's the Decalogue. First five commandments are relationship with God. Second five commandments, relationship with each other. He comes down in the desert to the people with these 10 commandments given by God. He comes down from the mountain with these 10 commandments and they're already in debauchery and they're having a party and they're worshiping a golden calf. He says, no, this is, this is the rules. God said... And this applies to everyone. And then they put those rules in the center of the community, which becomes the temple. And all of the 12 tribes surround the temple, and that becomes the center of their community. And God provides manna and water. Their clothes don't wear out, shoes don't wear out. Greatest miracle, we've covered it. Greatest miracle, we've covered it, is that three to five million people lived together for 40 years without a police force or a standing army because they had moral knowledge. They learned how to play by the rules that God had established. 
And with that, <clears throat> the temple now is built with hands made by man, and it's now in Jerusalem, and they have the commandments in there, in the Holy of Holies, and, and they also have Aaron's rod that's budded, and, and it's, all of it is located there. So Jesus comes into this temple, which contains the Holy of Holies where the commandments are located, and he comes into the court of the Gentiles through the beautiful gate, the eastern gate, which he's going to return by. He goes through that into the court of the Gentiles, which is the closest a non-Jew could get to the Holy of Holies. And they would come to either assimilate and understand Judaism and convert, or they would observe it and leave. And it was also not just the court of the Gentiles that Jesus did this. It was also the closest place that a Jewish woman could go uh, to the Holy of Holies. They were the same as Gentiles that didn't have faith. And in this court of the Gentiles where the women, the Jewish women would be as well, that's where they did all of the merchants. The merchants would exist where they would sell sacrifices that you would take to the, to the priest on behalf of your family. And this is where Jesus goes. He goes into this court of the Gentiles. These are all non-believers observing how the faithful operate. And Jesus is angry. And the Bible says that the zeal of my father's house will consume me. And this sweet little Jesus all of a sudden fashions a cord of, of a whip with, a, with cords. And he's cracking it. And he's turning over tables. And he's stopping people trying to bring their wares in. And he's just saying, get out. And everyone's just paralyzed. And that's what we're going to study. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We'll pick up at verse 45, chapter 19. Oh, and by the way, when Luke wrote this, they didn't have chapter breaks. So you go 19 and then you go into chapter 20. There shouldn't be a chapter break there. Uh, 19 and the first part of 20 go together. You'll see why. Here we go. Verse 45. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it. Everyone say poleo. poleo. Let's try it again. Poleo. One more time, poleo. That means bought and sold. He began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, and you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him, actually kill him, and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Now it happened on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel that the chief priests and the scribes together with the elders confronted him and spoke to him saying, tell us by what authority are you doing these things or who is he who gave you this authority? By what authority? By what authority? By what authority? Let that resonate. But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, then all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you what authority I do these things. So there. <laughs> Pretty remarkable. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage that is so fitting as we're prepared to take communion and Lord, to recognize that coming up to Passover in this picture, that you were the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world to set us free from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And here before us is that sacrifice, that Passover lamb. 
And Lord, we, we recognize that you have set us free. And Lord, as we've managed to blind people to the truth because we've turned the church into a den of thieves and robbers, buying and selling, making it about anything but the fact that it's a place where we worship you. And so, Lord, please, I pray today as we examine these passages that you'd open our eyes, transform our lives, challenge us, bless us, encourage us, comfort us. Lord, teach us. We thank you, Lord. Bless us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have a seat, please. In that earlier story that I recounted for you that many of you already know, the critical component, which is why this is so significant, the critical component of delivering three to five million Jews from slavery, being enslaved by another human being, crying out to God to be set free, crying out to God to be set free. And you would ask the Egyptians, why do you enslave me? Because we're better than you, says who? We do. But they cry out to a God who is above man. One whose laws transcend the fickleness of man. And they would say, by what authority do you demand to be released from bondage? And Moses would say, God said. As we see in this passage, it says, by whose authority do you speak? Moses would say, thus saith the Lord. Pharaoh would say, who is God that I should obey him? And God says, let me show you who I am. Ten plagues strike the nation of Egypt, each one miraculous in its own right. Flies, frogs, blood. But the last was critical. The Lamb of God, as the angel of death, would be sent by God to kill the firstborn of every home in Egypt. But God said to his children, by his authority, he said, take in your home, to avoid the angel of death, take in your home a lamb, slay it. Take the blood and pour it in the basin of the door. Every home had a basin because the streets were dirt. You'd walk into a clean home. Your feet would be filthy wearing sandals or being barefooted. And out of kindness, courtesy, you would clean your feet in the basin and then walk into the home. There'd be a towel to dry your feet with. You would walk on the carpet or whatever they had provided. The Lord says, that basin and those doors, I want you to put blood in. And then I want you to take hyssop, and I want you to dip the hyssop into the basin, and I want you to put some blood on the top, and then dip it again and put some blood on each side. So there's blood on the top, blood on the sides, and blood at the basin. And as you can see me standing here in the cross behind me, if you recall, the areas where Jesus bled, his body was broken, his blood was shed. As you recall, the piercing was the crown of thorns. Blood dripped from there. That's the blood on the doorpost at the top. His hands were pierced where blood dripped on the sides of the door. And the basin where the blood existed was where his feet were pierced. And so this was a depiction of the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. And this Passover lamb would be a testimony. I will give you my firstborn. If you trust in him, the angel of death will pass over you. But if you don't trust me, I will take your firstborn. 
because you have enslaved and you haven't obeyed me. You haven't honored me, you've enslaved others. These are my rules, thus saith the Lord. You may feel yourself superior to another human being, but you have been created in my image, fearfully and wonderfully made. You're equal. Equal in dignity, not in capacity. And in this depiction, the angel of death comes, Pharaoh loses his son. The Egyptians realize this is the authority of God. They release these slaves. They're set free. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. They leave. Pharaoh realizes he's going to lose his economy. He chases after the slaves. God puts darkness in their path and light before the Hebrews. He parts the Red Sea. They pass through the Red Sea. The Egyptians slow down. The Hebrews get across. God flood, causes the Red Sea to return to its normal levels, and the Egyptian army is drowned. They end up in the wilderness. You know this part. As they get into the wilderness, they dwell together for 40 years without a police force or a standing army because they have a downloaded moral app of the Ten Commandments. That becomes the center of their culture, the center of their community, the temple. And now we fast forward to this. Jesus enters into Jerusalem. The first thing he does is he goes into that temple, the Lamb of God. And as he comes into that temple, he begins to cleanse it. Now it happened on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel the chief priests and the scribes together with the elders confronted him and spoke to him saying, tell us by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Who said you could do this? Do what? He went into the temple. He began to drive out those who bought and sold in it. Paleo, Paleo saying to them, it is written, my father's house is to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. By whose authority do you do this? My father. God said, Now we've got a problem. The Egyptians said, man says. Moses said, God says. God's rules became the authority in the center of the culture. They lived together without a police force or a standing army. In Egypt, where man says, human beings were enslaved. How are you going to live together? The reality, it says, is through uh, through. The greatest thinkers, you look at Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, Aristotle said, politics is the highest form of community, morality and sociability. This is how you live together. And then our founders talked about this idea of inalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Happiness is critical as we look at the text. Happiness is critical as we look at the text. The reason why it's critical is it's the highest good of man. The highest good of man. Why are you here? What is the point? Many of you have come to understand goods. A good, described by Aristotle, a good is something that's operating in the capacity for which it was designed. I don't have one here, but something operating in the capacity for which it was designed. If I had a cup here and it was holding water, it would be a good cup because it's doing what it was designed to do. If it was leaking, it would be a bad cup. You're using a good cup. I see you. You took a sip of your coffee. It's a good cup, yes? It's not all over you. It's in your mouth. It's where you wanted it, right? Praise the Lord. Christian crack. We serve it all the time. So you are a good. You've been created. You have a purpose. Is the highest good of man wealth? 
No. No, it is not. If you serve wealth for wealth's reasons, you end up with very rich people and very poor people. If wealth is the ultimate goal, you could care less about others. You want to accumulate as much as you can. Thus, you'll have a culture like Egypt that has the rich and the enslaved. And you think, how do I bring about equality? Well, I'll take from the rich and I'll give it to the poor. That's called stealing. Yes, but they have more than they need. True, but they earned it. Yeah, but I wasn't given an opportunity to, no, I understand that. And they, under, they control all the means of distribution and creation. I, I get all that. But it's still stealing. God says, thou shalt not steal. God said, yes, but why the disparity? Well, because there's a human nature in man. And if their whole pursuit in life is wealth, then you have the problem. And that's why the church today in America struggles. And our young people are checking out. And the reason why they're checking out is they're looking at the wealth of the church and the poverty in the world and they're saying, this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. You're talking about a God of love, a God of justice, a God of goodness, and yet there's, there's poor and there's rich. And we, we waste food. And so they're instructed that the quickest way to do that is politically, that you take from these and give to them and it's equal. Well, that doesn't work, They've, and I understand the reason why young people would think that, but the reality is it de- destroys production. People aren't going to work hard or try to invent anything, and the people who got a handout are going to wait for another handout, and produ- productivity decreases. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. It's a violation of two of the Ten Commandments, stealing, coveting. God said. God said. I don't fault the young people for feeling that way. They've been instructed by teachers. And these teachers think that this will work, even though it's failed in 40 countries. Yeah, but this one's different. This is democratic socialism. That's not different. Hitler called it the same thing. Well, no, 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 we're doing it different than them. We're putting sprinkles on the dog do. But to defend the younger folks... I don't think God intended it to be the way it is now. We're all about money. We pursue wealth for wealth's sake. I I often think to myself, 20 years ago when I first became the pastor of the church, the very first mistake I made was to forget to pass the offering bags around. It was my very first Sunday. Now, I had watched television and I saw these televangelists, all about money. I've been to churches, and, and I wasn't even a believer, and I remember it just seemed like the whole sermon was about money. I was kind of sickened by it. And I read where the Bible says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, not out of guilt or compulsion. I thought, that is a lot of compulsion and guilt. Even a thermometer. And we're gonna, the building fund, and you just, we're, we're almost there. We almost have a fever. And, then, and if you contribute this much, we'll put a plaque in your name. And you don't need a pastor. You need a dentist because you have plaque disease in the church. <laughs> but I thought, that's not what God intended. And I thought, I didn't make a mistake. That was the Lord. We've never taken an offering since. But it is an act of our worship. We still pray over it. Why? Because God says, God says, the first fruits make me preeminent. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness therein. Everything you have first came to you from God. He gave it to you. 
Now, if you want me to be first, let go of your kung fu grip and give me a tenth of that. You're like, and really, we're all struggling with that. And the church does as well. And we struggle with it. But I have news for you. Whether you give or you don't give doesn't bother me. I really don't care. It's not an issue of running the church by the funds you give. Granted, we do. But there's been critical times in the life of this church where there hasn't been enough money. The only thing I can control is expenses. If I can control income, find another church. Because I am guilting you and compelling you. If I do a gimmick, time to find another church. This is an act of worship. You see, the Lord is separating our true happiness from our wealth. He wants to see what the highest good of man is. And if you can be moved by guilt or compulsion, save your money. Because in the critical times in the church when we've been struggling, God's provided from outside means. Miraculously. I've never lost sleep over anything in relation to finances in the church. Tony has, that's what I pay him for. But I have never, <laughs> I've never lost sleep over it. Truly, and and Tony has grown leaps and bounds. He's closer to the issue than I am, but it's never an issue. And I say this because wealth is not the highest good. Pleasure is not the highest good. Pleasure is good, but it's not the highest good. If you live for pleasure's sake, then you're going to be miserable. We're watching that as you look at street people of San Francisco, street people of Los Angeles, street people of Santa Monica, which is an Instagram post, and you see these young people that have gone after pleasure, and they just want to avoid pain. And they're just walking around as zombies. They're feeling no pain because they, they've been given free needles, free drugs. They're just, and they're, they, they, they can steal up to $1,000 and it's just a petty crime. And, and the, the city, and they defecate everywhere. And they're, they're emaciated. And it's tragic. Pleasure for pleasure's sake ends up in a problem. Pleasure's good, but pleasure for pleasure's sake is not the highest good. And then the last one is honor. Honor for honor's sake isn't good. Because you're just walking around wanting to be elevated. Wanting people to know about you. And, and you, young people get this. I mean, I am honored by how many followers I have on social media. And I am devastated. They have the highest suicide rate for their generation. I am devastated because somebody I've never met doesn't like me. And unfriended me. Or, you know. You're like, really, that's not critical. That You don't even know where they live. Yes, but I have their pictures and they look better than I do. And I just kind of feel like I'm ugly compared to what I see in all these things. Turn it off. You're amazing. But what will I do with my life? I won't be honored. I'm only sufficient if I have a lot of followers. (laughs) Come on now. Give it a rest. That's dangerous. Honor for honor's sake is dangerous. And then we come to the highest, highest good, which is happiness. Why? Again, a shed. First Hebrew word in Psalm 1, ashed means blessed or better yet, happy. Happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of the sinner, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Upon that law he meditates day and night. These commandments, how I react with, interact with God and with each other, I meditate on that day and night. I'll be like a tree planted by streams of living water that produces its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. The truest happiness 
is honoring God by honoring his purpose in your life. These commandments, how you live. It's the center of a community. It's at the temple. And the Lord goes in, and the highest good isn't honoring the law. The highest good is wealth, merchandise, buying and selling, honor. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a Sadducee. It's pleasure. And he comes in, and he opens up a can of Jesus. I love some of the depictions. This is out of a children's book. It's a little more tender. This one is my favorite. He is just like, This one is European. It takes Jesus and gives him blonde hair and blue eyes. It's just. This one I like because the money is like 3D. It's coming at you. And Jesus is angry. And he goes in, and the reason why he's angry is because at Passover, Jews were required to come to the temple in the diaspora where they were dispersed all over the known world after, after they had been persecuted. And the entire Roman Empire there, in every nook and cranny and corner of the Roman Empire, and on Passover, they would descend into Jerusalem, millions of them. And they would come into Jerusalem, and they would bring their sacrifice from a great distance, whether it was in Spain, the outer reaches, or the Iberian Peninsula, or in Rome, or in Athens, and they would travel, Alexandria, they'd travel, and they'd bring their sacrifice and, and they, they'd come to worship and offer their sacrifice and they brought this lamb and they followed God's word, what God said. And this is what the sacrificial lamb is to look like and they would read it and they would pick the best out of their flock and they would travel and, and do portage to bring this creature all the way to Jerusalem. And they'd come to the temple with their sacrifice and they'd walk up and they'd say, you need to get in that line to see if your animal's approved. Oh, it's spotless. I have observed what God said, and the animal's spotless. This is the one I've brought. Look how beautiful it is. Just so beautiful. Not a blemish on it. And they go, hmm, it's not approved by the rabbi, the priest. It doesn't have the priest's approval. I understand that, but it has God's approval. It fits the scriptures. No. The priest will declare that whether or not it is acceptable. But it is an offering. I, I, I haven't. I've, do you want to go somewhere else? I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah, what, what do I need to do? You need to get approval. It's in that queue over there, in the hot Middle Eastern sun. Being like at Disneyland, you're with your children, your wife. You travel with this lamb under your arm. You get in the queue. It's long. You're sweating. The I'm hot. Yeah, I have to use the restroom. Okay, you stay with the kids. You stay with the lamb. I'm going to take the kids to the restroom. No running water, it's hard to find a restroom, the children thirsty, and you travel and your wife's holding the lamb and it defecates on her brand new dress and you're like, oh, this is awful, where are you? And the kids are like, I'm hungry, and you're just frustrated, you finally get the kids in the line and, and you wait and you get up to the queue and the priest looks at it and goes, that's an unacceptable lamb. What? Yeah, it has a blemish. Where? Are you questioning me? I said, but I know God said, I said, it has a blemish. You need another one. Okay. Go get in that line. That's a really long line. You go get in that line. Get up to the front. I need to buy a lamb. Um, well, the cheapest we have will be this. What? That's 20 times more than 
I have. Well, you can sell that one. But you have to get in that line. You go get in that line, you wait. They purchase it well undervalued. You get ripped off. Plus, they make you do money exchange. You have to take Roman coin and get the temple money. I mean, you've just been, it's like Disneyland. You, you get a cash to me. How much money do you have? Give it to me. That's it. <laughs> now go stand in line and get hot and sweaty. Welcome. <laughs> and and you, you finally have the money. The very, you can go up and you say, I, I, I want to get a lamb. Okay. It's 20 times what you paid for yours and what you got in return. And they go, here's your lamb. You're like, wait a minute, that thing is mangy and it's approved. It's like, (coughs) 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 what kind of a lamb is that? That's a Corona lamb. (laughs) And the bummer is, as you're taking your lamb to go sacrifice, you look over at the the, the corral of approved animals, and there you find your lamb there. And you're like, what? And you're dragging this thing, won't even walk. <laughs> and you sacrifice it. And, and you do this, all this is happening in the court of the Gentiles. These are people that aren't Jews, and they're observing. It's like some of the folks in the room this morning have never stepped foot in a church. You're watching. And you're in the court of the Gentiles. You haven't assimilated to Christianity. You haven't embraced Christianity. You're just checking it out. And they would be watching this in the court of the Gentiles going, these people are suckers. Why would I want anything to do with this church? These people are suckers. Right? And the women, they would be observing their husbands plying this trade, and they're like, well... We sure did well today, didn't we? And then the Lord walks into this mess and he just says it is a den of thieves. And when he said it was a den of thieves, it was a a very telling statement. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. He had quoted out of Isaiah 56, 7, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus also quotes out of Jeremiah chapter 7. I love this passage. It's verses 2 through 11. And if you have problems paying attention, do something to, to grasp this. Whether it be close your eyes, but hear the reading. Because this is critical. I think this is what the Lord wants us to understand. Jesus quoted this concept of a den of thieves out of Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 2 through 11. Jeremiah says, through the Spirit of the Lord, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. 
Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know? And then come and stand before me in the house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? Has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. They knew what Jesus was quoting. Shedding innocent blood, burning incense to Baal, committing adultery, murdering with words, stealing, oppressing the stranger, enmity with your neighbor, oppressing the fatherless and the widow, walking after other gods in their own hurt. And the Lord looks at that and he says, my father's house would be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves and robbers. But he always intended it to be a house of prayer. It's funny that prayer is one of those things that nobody wants to do. At least corporately. It's the smallest, serv- it's the smallest service in the church. Is what, we're, is what we're doing really worth doing if we can do it apart from prayer? The Bible says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father ever living to make intercession for us. To the Lord, he's interceding for you and me. He gives us the privilege to intercede for one another. A woman who was, who was given a death sentence in the last service, they said no one's ever survived what she had. Twelve doctors said, we, we don't even need to treat you, you're going to be dead. The people on Sunday night prayer prayed for her. Many in the congregation prayed for her. She was miraculously standing in front of me, completely healed. We love people praying for us, but do we pray? Do we pray for our children? Do we pray for our community? When Paul says to Timothy, pray for kings and those in authority, do we pray for city council and school board and supervisors? Do we pray for those issues that would allow us to live quiet and peaceable lives? Do we intercede? Do we intercede for families that are struggling, marriages that are in jeopardy, health issues? Do we pray? We may pray individually, but do we pray corporately in the house of the Lord? Is it something that's important to us? God drove this point home to me in a very critical manner. And it all began, and when I travel, and I just finished going to North Carolina, and I'm going to be going to Mar-a-Lago, and then the following week I'm going to uh, Char- uh, Charleston. And I, when I travel, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. I, I, I don't mess around when I travel. I'm, I'm very, just, my face is set as a flint. I'm, I'm, I travel light and quick except for when I travel with my wife. <laughs> Slower process. I love this woman. I've been married to her 30 years, April 21st. Amazing woman. And here we go. When she travels with me, she likes to have a scarf over her head. Could you get it out of the bag? Because I forgot to bring it with me. So I get up, got to get the scarf. And then when the stewardess comes by, I know what, Coke Zero, please. I just, mm. 
<laughs> Do you have anything gluten-free? I'm like, honey, there's thousands of passengers back here. Just pick it up. I'm having to be very careful because she's in the service. It'll get, it'll get really good in a minute. It'll get good. Don't worry. And then, and then when, the pa- when the captain says, we're preparing our arrival, attendants, please prepare the cabin for our arrival. That means get up and use the restroom. Because when we touch down and we get to the gate, we're getting to the Uber and we're going to bypass all the crowds and we're on our way. Because we got to go. We land. I get the luggage. We're moving. I have to use the restroom. (laughs) Delay. Frustrating. Get to the hotel and all these things happen and it's frustrating. But here's the cool part. I, I got so irritated and the Lord asked me and he said, what, what is your problem? I said, Lord, she frustrates me. She takes up forever. <laughs> and the Lord said, can I ask you a question? I said, yes, Lord. And he said, uh, do you remember when you used to pick Chuck Smith up when you were assistant pastor in San Jose and his plane would fly in and you'd have the privilege to pick up Chuck Smith? I go, yeah. What would you do? I'd get waters. I'd have them available for him. I would drive the car. I wouldn't look at him. I wouldn't speak to him unless he spoke to me. And I'd answer his question. If he asked my opinion, I'd give it to him. But I didn't say anything because I knew he was busy. And he's, he is the principal guy. And everyone wanted to hear from him. And I had the privilege to drive him to the men's retreat. And guys, I'm the guy getting to drive Chuck Smith. And he says, why don't you treat your wife that way? Because she's not Chuck Smith. And he goes, and I go, I mean, Lord, I'm closer to Chuck Smith than she is. Okay, all right. And the Lord says, no, you got it all wrong, Rob. When Michelle travels with you, how how are things spiritually? Are you tempted and do you struggle as much and do you get better sleep? I go, yeah, Lord, when she travels with me, I sleep really well. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And when she's not with you, I just lay awake. I have a fight with a pillow all night. He said, do you realize that this woman prays? Every time I see Michelle, we, 30 years of marriage, the kids haven't been raised because I'm a really good dad. They've been raised properly because Michelle prays. She prays over everything. Every time I see the woman, she's praying. And I realize, Lord, she's the principal. She's the Chuck Smith. I'm her travel assistant. And when I got that understanding, it made travel that much easier because I started to realize what a gift. Prayer is critical. Anything you think is sufficient and, and significant in this church has come about by people who have prayed. Jesus wanted his Father's house to be called a house of prayer. But we're too busy running after money and honor and pleasure to pray. And Jesus said, you've turned it into a, a den of thieves and robbers. And, and I, I'll, I'll pick it up. I've got nine minutes. I want you to look at something, and I had you say it out loud. Would you look at verse 45? Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it. And you guys all said what? Let's try that again. You said what? You know what's cool about Paleo? It's a barter system. Paleo. And here's what's critical. 
it says he began to drive out not just the merchants, those scallywags that were selling the mangy sheep, the ones who were ripping you off. He didn't just cast them out. He began to drive out the people who were buying it. We're buying what they're selling. We've allowed this to happen. Churches in America are all about the buildings and the wealth and the money. We don't care about the unborn. We don't care about innocent blood being shed. We have no concern about the stranger in our land or, or, or dealing with our neighbors appropriately. We've actually ascribed to socialism where we're, ta- we're teaching stealing from the pulpits. We don't even educate our children. And in addition, we're all about the wealth. And our young people are, are confused. We, we say we love God, but we, 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 we don't, we're not cheerful givers. There's no surrender to the Lord. We tip him like we tip the waitress. And God looks at it and he says, the only reason why they're selling it is because people are buying it. And you go, that's not me. Really? 15,280,000 evangelicals in California. 50% are not registered to vote. Of the 50% who are registered, only half of them vote in a presidential election and only 12% in a non-presidential election. What's the point? They're, They're selling it. We're buying it. We are buying what they are selling by our apathy, sexual education of our children, unbearable taxation, abortion on demand, socialism, and the list goes on. I was in North Carolina. I said, do you think all these terrible laws happen by Christians? They're like, no. I go, yes. The apathy. Because we're buying what they're selling and we allow them to do this. They wouldn't have anything if we weren't buying it. Restaurants close because people don't like the menu. But we buy wealth. We buy pleasure. We buy honor but we have no happiness. And Jesus comes in to cleanse the temple. Align yourself. The temple is the center of the culture, the center of the community. Jesus comes in and cleans it. Not just the people selling it, the people buying it. The church has been infected. We're apathetic. And people say, you know, our, the, the pastor at the church that I go to doesn't talk about these things. But the worship's so good. You know, my alma mater, the school I went to, you know, I, I, I'm proud to be from that alma mater, but they are, they're teaching just outright socialism. I, I mean, I still give money to them because it's my alma mater. You're buying what they're selling. They're appealing to your pride. They're appealing to your pleasure. You want to be honored because your name's on a plaque in some wing of some building while they're just indoctrinating children across the country. He didn't just kick out the people who were selling. He's kicking out the people who were buying. Enough's enough. The church is supposed to be the center of the culture. It's not supposed to be about wealth. It's not supposed to be about pleasure. It's not supposed to be about honor. It's supposed to be about being right with God. 
Blessed is a man. And so we come to this. Communion. The Lamb of God. He was cleansing the temple. Because he would ultimately die in that same temple. He would die for the sins of pleasure and wealth and honor that supersede being right with God. He would die for the sins of apathy to set us free from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He would set us free. We would know the truth. The truth would set us free that you don't enslave another human being because somehow it brings you wealth. You don't turn the other cheek because innocent blood is being shed. You awaken to your responsibilities. You realize that he was slain. The crown of thorns, the nails, the blood on the top, the sides, the basin. The angel of death has passed over you. You've been given life. It's not your own. You've been purchased with the blood of God. Cleanse this temple. Don't just, don't be buying what they're selling. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price? Therefore, the glory, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We've been purchased with the blood of Christ, his body broken, pierced, his blood shed to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that temple doesn't exist in a building in Jerusalem, it exists in you. And what is the good that you serve? Is it happiness or is it wealth? Honor, pleasure? The Lord says, therefore whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Paul says in Corinthians, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Catholics venerate communion too much and Protestants don't venerate it enough. This is critical. And the reason why it's critical is because you see before you a representation of the body of Christ pierced, broken, blood poured out, and that that body of Christ taken into little pieces, given to one at a time, representing the entirety of the body of Christ. And we partake of his body, we partake of the cup, which is the blood of the new covenant, cleansing us of all unrighteousness. And this testimony, in the court of the Gentiles, this testimony in the court of the Gentiles, in the presence of the temple of God, people are observing us, Are we buying what they're selling? Are we honoring God with our lives? Do we realize that the way we live affects the entirety of the body and the testimony of the Gentiles who observe us? 
Will we stop shedding innocent blood? Will we stop stealing, coveting wealth, honor, pleasure? The highest good is to honor God and to honor man. Pierced, Lamb of God, it's all in the picture. It's communion. And all the heartache in the room, all the broken relationships and the pain and the loss, it boils down to this. His grace is sufficient. He's forgiven you. He's come to give you life and life more abundant. He's cleansed you of all unrighteousness. It's such a wonderful gift, but we have a testimony to the court of the Gentiles. And don't be buying what they're selling. Examine your life. Honor God. And let him cleanse the temple of your life this day. He wants to dwell in you and through you for his glory. Don't allow the baubles and the trinkets of the world to clog what it is he wants to do in and through you. This communion is available to all who call upon the name of the Lord. Whatever you come to this table with, all of your sins, you just tell him, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a magnificent sinner. And you're a marvelous savior. And I know your grace is sufficient and I receive your gift of forgiveness. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness that I would be a temple of the Holy Spirit, that I would honor you and the court of the Gentiles would see that testimony and I wouldn't be buying what they're selling. My true happiness lies in honoring you and each other. And that becomes the center of the community and that becomes the body of Christ. And that's communion. And you're free to come, examine your heart, leave it at the altar and watch God work in and through you for his glory.